Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another podcast series from Black College Nines. Our podcast series has always covered the many things that our HBCU coaches do for their programs, and we're going to continue down that path. Now, today we have Roger Cador, who we've had a podcast we've interviewed in the past, but this is something that we need to discuss. We need to get out there. Uh, What we're going to discuss is HBCUs, athletic departments, they really don't fund the baseball program, and the baseball program seems to be the hardest hit when it comes to budget and trying to keep the program going. It's a struggle for HBCUs. Why, we don't know, but Mr. Kadur, Mr. Baseball himself, can shed a lot of light on that. But before we do, at Black College Nines, we've had some, um, as you know, we're coming up on the 2021 season, and we've, had, we've got some articles that are out there. Uh, if you get a chance to go back to the site and look, you know, our latest articles is Living HBCU Baseball History with the Legends, Dave Clark of Jackson State. Uh, another article was Major League Baseball Acknowledges and the contributions of Negro Leagues, including a great number who have played HBCU baseball. And the North Carolina Central's Louis D. Leon named Collegiate Baseball Preseason All-American. Our last podcast series is with the coach who replaced uh, Roger and who has moved on. That podcast was Carrick Jackson. He talks about his departure from coaching Southern University and accepting a position with Major League Baseball. But our focus today is going to be on former Southern uh, head coach Roger Cador, who was a big-time coach at Southern, not just Southern. It's a, he turned that program, he single-handedly raised that program like it was, he was raising it as his own. Um, he's had over 900 wins, uh, uh, 604 uh, winning percentage record, uh, it started in 1978 as a assistant and became the head coach in 1985. And what he did for that program, he built Southern into an HBCU powerhouse. Not just an HBCU powerhouse, but he built it at the national level as to where Southern, when they took on the uh, top-ranked teams, they knew that they were in a dogfight with a pretty good program under a pretty good head coach. So, with that in mind, Roger Kador, how are you? I think I'm doing fine. Let me just say this. I appreciate all the wonderful things with the wonderful articles and the historical uh, background with you going back and finding uh, information that most people don't know. You brought it to life about historical black colleges and baseball. I've really enjoyed them over the years because it, it, it enlightened me to let me know where other historical colleges, black colleges were doing, especially on the East Coast, where we weren't getting that information. So thanks for bringing it to light. Not a problem, please. Coach, I'm a former HBCU baseball player, and the one thing that, you know, in my playing days, it it took me on, our road trips took me on places I would have never gone on my own. 
and I saw a rich history of black baseball. You know, not, not, not just the rich history, but when I was a kid, that was our sport until football and basketball became the glamour sports and it took a lot of young black men away from it. But since I've been with uh, Black College Nines, we have reached audiences in, audiences in, in Montana, Idaho, way out west, Wisconsin. And that's a testament, not just of Black College Nines, no, it's a testament of, of you and the many other coaches and the many other players and taking it back to the 1800s who played HBCU baseball. Because without them, I'm basically nothing. Well, we, we would never be nothing. You needed those trailblazers who paved the way so we could uh, have a better life and, and have something to talk about, really. Without them, we're not talking about it. So they did a lot of good things and, and endure a lot of prejudice and all of the bad things that happened. But you know what? They hung, hung in there, and America is a better place because of what they endured. And you're so right about that. It's a struggle. It's an ongoing fight. But it's a, it's a fight that uh, is it's slowly but surely changing. It is. In the right way, too, by the way. Yes, sir. Now, now, Coach, my experience, I, and I saw this firsthand as a player, back in my playing days at Edward Waters, I've seen the struggles of baseball programs, how it seems to me there's a lack of respect for the program and putting the program out there and keeping the program going, especially when it comes to budgetary procedures, when it comes to funding, they always seem to take uh, uh, cut the budget of baseball so they can pay for the over. Uh, uh, how should I say it? They're, they're they're always taking the budgets away from HBCU baseball to pay for other uh, programs. What is going on now? You built Southern. You built Southern from scratch, and we have some other baseball programs out there that we're going to talk about later in the podcast who are good programs, but they don't have a facility to play. Now, Southern didn't have one until you stepped in. Let's, 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 let's talk about the problems with HBCU and funding baseball. Well, it's more than athletics when you're talking about funding. It starts at the state level. When you look at the state level, it doesn't fund historical black school at the same level they do with other universities. And I can only speak for Southern as it relates to Southern, okay? Uh, the state of Louisiana, they give July 1, they give a stipend to athletic departments that helps, I think now it's $3.7 million that they would give. And I've been going for three years, so I don't know if it's increased or what. But that's what they give about $3.7 million for athletics. And uh, at Southern, that money doesn't go to athletics. And that's the big problem. Because Southern made a strategic mistake somewhere in the 70s or 80s. Because football was doing so well, Chicken Steel was out of the box. We only had nine sports 
and they were making money. So somebody got smart and said, athletics should be self-supported. Once they did that, and we moved forward where now we got 18 sports, Southern no longer can be self-supported because when you put scholarship, equipment, traveling, salaries, you put it all on top of that, and football has to make all of the money, and football ain't generating the money once then. That is the problem. So people need to really know the whole ball of thing because they say, why don't they support baseball? Well, gender equity came into the picture, and you have to support, you have to do what you did for other the men's sport, and what the NCAA really messed up is, whether they let football stand alone, they put it in the equation where now they're saying football has to be a part of the equation, and we know women do not play any football. When they put it in the equation, and now you have to find more women's sports to get the numbers to match football, or the men's sports, you got me? Yes. So that's where the problem three schools like Southern. But most people don't know that. They just, and we haven't done a good job of educating our constituents what is taking place and how all of this came about. I think when people are educated, they can accept things and maybe they do a little more. Now, how is it that the state of Louisiana was not able to support the athletic department when they had the funds, even though the mistake was made by Southern. Isn't, uh, shouldn't Southern have found a way to change that legislation or do something different? Well, you know, Southern is in a unique situation. In the state, there are two board of supervisors in the state of Louisiana. Well, three. LSU is single, Southern is single, and all the other schools fall under a single board. You got me? Yes. When Southern became, uh, no other historical black school have their own board of supervisors. And we got to be too smart when we got our own board and when we passed that rule about being self-supported and athletic. Nowadays, it's a little difficult to go back and change that. You see, because... I often, because one of the questions when I was, I never asked Southern for anything. I raised all the money that I got. So I never asked that for any department for anything. But I asked the question, how can a school like Nickel State, who is located in Thibodeau, football stadium 2,500, have more sports, they travel more. How could they make it? And Southern came. And I said, you don't think they run a deficit? McNeese and Gremlin, uh, they all run deficits. And they don't have to worry about it because they're under a board that understands they're going to run a deficit. LSU doesn't run a deficit. They're in a different boat. And now Southern is out there trying to balance a budget for athletics when there's no way they're never going to be able to do it. So every year is a fight, and people say, you have to balance your budget. How can you do it when you're going now? Southern is averaging 1,200, 12,000 people at a football game. 
back in the days they were averaging 23 when they had nine sports. You got this? Yes. And so now you see the problem of trying to support uh, 18 sports with 12,000 fans. Not going to happen. So that's the problem that happened at a Southern University. And I can't speak about the other ones, but because I think the other uh, historical black schools are like grammar. They're in under a board that understand they're going to run a deficit and they literally, at the end of the year, they wipe out the deficit. You got that? Yes. Southern doesn't do it. It forces athletics to try and find a way. Yeah. And I think it's so wrong because there's no way they can do it. Why don't coaches, why don't, not coaches, but why don't uh, athletic departments, and, and I see this a lot at, 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 at the uh, non-HBCU universities, you, you take LSU and, and, and Florida State and the, the bigger schools, why don't they, HBCUs, turn the baseball program over to the coach and let the coach fundraise and let the coach run the program and get the funding that's going to help? Because... LSU has a huge budget yearly. I mean, four to seven million dollars. University of Michigan, eight million. UCLA, seven million. And a lot of that comes from the coaches. When the coaches goes out there fundraising and getting sponsors for the baseball programs, that's unheard of at HBCUs. Well, at LSU, Palmineri doesn't do fundraising. Okay, they have a, a, a organization. They, that they have that does that for him, okay? Because it's, they want him to coach and be successful on the field. What I did at Southern is unparalleled in what is happening. I was able to fundraise and and uh, and raise money because I knew I was not going to get one penny from athletics beyond what the budget they gave me. Once they gave me my travel budget, which was I can tell you it was $25,000. I had an equipment budget of $4,000, a recruiting budget of $3,000. The recruiting budget of $3,000 when I started in August of 84 was $3,000. When I retired in 2017, the recruiting budget was $3,000. My, re- my, my equipment budget was $4,500. It was either, and then when I ended, it was $4,500. So you, you see what I'm talking about? No way you should go 30 some years and your equipment budget and your recruiting budget never move one penny. That was my situation. So I understood that. Rather than go fight with the athletic director, knowing that he can't get the money, I knew he couldn't get it because the administration wasn't going to give it to him. Because the one sport they were going to fund was football. Football in the band is the most important two things when it comes to athletic adventures at historical license. Correct. We'll tell you that. A good football team and a good band, that's what they want. The other sports you find a way. Have a bigger athlete at a historical black school and one that was adventurous, I understood that. And I went out and did something that is unparalleled. I mean, when I, I was able to raise money. But I, I, and I tell coaches all over the swag when I was coaching, 
when they asked me about how was I able to do it. And I said it was a formula. You have to be first committed to service. The community has to trust and believe in you. You have to give something up to give something. And I did that. And I remember so many times my wife saying, why are you doing all of this when there's no return? Why are you doing this? And I didn't know. I just said, well, it's a part of my job description. I said, the job description called, and it was never in my job description, but I knew I had to give something to the community to get something. And once I did that, I didn't, it didn't happen overnight, Michael. It happened 10 years into the new tribe. Start getting trips and trips and trips, and more and more. I ended up raising. I was raising three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, literally, for the baseball program. And that's how we fund everything, without asking the athletic department for one penny. And the day I left, I told the athletic director, I really feel guilty. And he said, why? Why do you feel guilty? I said, I really feel guilty because I created something that maybe the next coach may not be able to do. And I said, that's what I feel bad about because you all are going to expect him to go out and raise the money I did when that may not be possible. And I think you know it's not going to be possible because I think football doesn't raise any money. Basketball doesn't raise any money. Those are your two biggest sports. How do you think baseball is going to do it? And it's not fair to the new coach coming in. He needs the support to have the, the funding, and they didn't do it. And that's what happened. Only at Southern. I can't speak about all the other historical black schools, but I, I told him that the, coach, the next coach needed funding. Don't expect him to go out and do what I did because it took years. You got me? Building the brain where people trust what I was doing. The most important thing, they saw where the money was going. I built stuff and when people can see you have building that going up, they'll kill rather than you be giving money and nothing is going up. You got me? Well, that's true because you spearheaded your spearheaded efforts. You built an on-campus stadium, which was, which had lights, and you, they recently broke ground on a, 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 a house base exclusively for the baseball team. And at that time, there was no uh, state baseball stadium on campus. Thanks to you. My baseball. You're right. Am I correct on that? The other thing is, we didn't have a dressing room. My kids used to dress in the parking lot. A lot for many, many years they dressed in the parking lot. And it hurt me, Michael. I used to hurt. And I went out and raised, I raised the money to build the baseball stadium. And then, and, and I realized we needed a dressing facility. The last week I had raised a million dollars. And the university took it because they were building a football stadium and they ran over costs and they took my million dollars, okay? The only thing I went in and I talked to the president and I said, I have no problem because football 
pays for a lot. But why would y'all ask me and tell me y'all needed the money? Not just take it without telling me about it. And he said, well, we need it. I said, but that's not the way you do business, okay? I told the president that. I said, but that's okay. I'm going to go find some more money. I went out, and in three weeks, I had raised $1.3 million. And the people said, we're not giving it to Southern. We're going to run it through the city of Baton Rouge. That way we'll never have them take this money. And that's how we got the, the, uh, the dressing room bill. Raised $1.3 million. And I think the God is good because how else could I have done that? You got me? I mean, I've been, I've been so fortunate in that people believe in me. They trust in me. And, well, you know, I just did things for the community. I gave a lot. I did a lot of community service. And the community gave back to me. That's the best way I can say it. So when, when people say, hire someone to come in, and it serves the black schools, it's different than going to LSU. If you get hired in LSU, there are other people going to raise the money. You got me? Yes. If you get hired in seven, the coaches got to go raise the money. And the football coaches never going to get any money because they're not going to go raise it. The basketball coach ain't going to never get any money other than what they get because they ain't going to raise it. They make that known. They're not going to go raise it. And I'm appalled when the, when they hire a baseball coach and the first thing they ask the baseball coach how are you going to raise funds? Well, the baseball coaches are not going to be able to raise funds the way they think they can at Southern. It's not fair. If it was that easy, why no other schools are doing it? At the in historical black schools, you got me? You need someone who is going to be to have a long kingdom. Like I did, I had a long kingdom at Southern. And I was a part of the community. And if I can tell you, when I say community, the white community where I got the money from, without trying to be prejudiced, you got me? Okay. Uh, I, I, to go where the money is. I understand the that. People, the black people are, are limited in the amount of money they can give. I understand that because I, I, I've seen that myself as, as a player. I can tell you stories of how uh, the... the baseball program benefited from local charities and it wasn't coming from the black community but the school which happens to be a part of the uh, African um, Episcopalian they would dictate where the funds would go and that would and that hurt the baseball program because I can tell you that there were times when we had to meet and we had a one o'clock game and a two-hour bus trip and we were supposed to leave at seven and we couldn't leave until 11 because the school would cut the funding and they would dictate when we could play, how we could play, and then cut the schedules. And then we'd find out that they already had the budget. It just went to a, another area. Uh, uh, like, and, and this happens a lot at HBCU baseball. But I also was uh, been informed that Kara Jackson, the, the former head coach who just left, he had some issues with Southern and the baseball and the athletic department regarding the baseball budget. And once he once he realized that 
they were not going to do anything that was going to benefit the program. He had no other choice than to move on. Uh, all he asked for was that he didn't want a pay increase. He wanted a Right. They wanted the money to be put in the program and they wouldn't do it. And they wouldn't do it. That's I, don't understand. I really can't understand this. And, and I don't think he was asking for that much money. You got me? A coach, from my understanding, all he wanted to was to secure the program for the next few years that he could put something in place in the, and the athletic department said no. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, that's exactly what I heard. But I know exactly what Coach Jackson went through. You know, they weren't going to give me. And I, that's when I was trying to explain to that athletic director. I made the program bad for the next coach. You got this? See, they didn't, he didn't understand what I was trying to say when I said, I made this program bad for the next coach. Because I did everything with us, the help of the athletic department. And they didn't think they needed to give the next school. Well, it's not fair to think Coach Jackson can come in. Nobody knows it. They go raise money. Why is the football coach raising money? There's the football, they love football, and he can raise. Why would you expect baseball to do it? You got me? Yes. That's been my argument. You don't expect the baseball coach to do something miraculous that no one else is doing. You know, the whole athletic department ain't raising that much money. I was raising more money than the whole athletic department only because I had the love and trust of the community who had the money. And they saw me put, use the money because they could see things. When people see things, you get money from them and you build things that they can see they will continue to give. Coach Jackson needed time to build that trust. And he didn't have the time. He needed the money. And fortunate for him, that other people recognize he's got a, he had a lot of qualities that were good for them. You got me? Yes. And I had told him once, don't stay here too long because they're not going to do you right. Because they take the, 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 the attitude Coaches in baseball don't need the support, financial support. And it's not true because they don't know what Coach Jackson could have built for them. You got me? I think he had a chance to do some outstanding things. Of course he did. I wanted somebody replacing me. I wanted them to be successful. I wanted Southern to be successful. You got me? Of course he did. Um, what, what, What shocking to me was he led Southern to a regional, and he almost upset the number five-ranked team in the nation. At that time, there were reports that there were recruits, heavy D1 recruits that wanted to come to Southern, and even some kids wanted to transfer. But from what I was told, it was mixed because the athletic department did not support the coach when he went out recruiting these kids. He did. He got zero support. He got zero backing, and that's unusual for a program that that makes it the NCAA regional and it has a 
a chance to return the following year. And it, because what it, what, when you make the regional, it's the program builder. You build yourself into it's not baseball isn't a game of uh, of luck. It, things just don't happen. You prepare for these things. And once he once he made that regional. They, the athletic department did not support him in advancing themselves to get these top recruits in that's going to open up the program. And I think it's, he needed money to recruit, and they probably didn't. And, and to the, i got to give some leniency to the athletic. Maybe it didn't. It was at the end of the budget year. You got me? Let me just say that spring sports at the end of the budget year. But July 1 is when you get your new budget. You got that? Coach Jackson probably was recruiting in June, and the kidding, there was nothing in the kidding for him. You got that? Now, I think maybe the athletic director could have gone to the president and said, I need, I need $20,000, $30,000. To help let this guy go recruit. He's done a good job. I think that you've got to put yourself out there at that point when you got someone that is worthy of it. You got me? Mm-hmm. You know, you could ask. I mean, you have to do it. Because I, I'm thinking the AD budget was, was going at that time. But, you know, the, the president got some leniency. Or say, listen, go tell him go out there, he could. If he spends some of his money, we'll replace it. When July one, when we get the new budget. I mean, there are ways you you can do things to let people know you support them. You got me? Yes, but the coach is successful. You gotta let him know you support him. You gotta let him know you got his back. But and that's what coaches look for. But coach, out of respect for you, I, this is this this is hard to swallow, and here's why. I have seen this, and I have heard this, and I'm constantly hearing this year in and year out. After the football program, the the football season is done at HBCUs, and the basketball season, once they realize that they have overspent their budgets, they immediately, while the baseball team is in progress, start slashing their budgets. I hear this all the time. So when you say that they work, they, they wait till June. This happens uh, February, March, April. Let me tell you, it happened in February where they freeze the budget. They put a freeze on, a spending limit, and they said there's no more traveling, no more recruiting, no more equipment. But I'm telling you, it happened every year I was at us in February. I was at 30, I worked at 30 for 40 years, and every year there was a freeze. Why would they? Why would they do this in the middle of a season? Uh, that's the way they've done it. I mean, you know, you had the same people in, in power, and they've always done it. So you know, they kept you. I mean, that's the way they've done it. I mean, I'm, I, I can't answer every question you ask because. All I can say is was always uh, that way. Right, right. And for me, it was not a big issue because I was going to find the money to do what we needed to be, what needed to be done. So it was never an issue for me. And everybody else accepted that pain. You, you know, you know. I look at the way slavery was, and this is a bad example. But people in slavery couldn't do anything. They accepted that pain. 
for so many years. You got me? That makes sense. Until until they fought back. Huh? Until until they fought back. Until they fought back after so many years, they accepted their faith. Would you agree? I agree. For ge- for generations, they accepted their faith until they fought back. And now that's what these coaches probably need to do is fight back. I don't expect coaches to do what I did. I do. I do. Because you look at you, you, you look at your history. You look at your track record. When you got to Southern, you changed the entire process. The entire that whole situation you built. You basically built a foundation. And I don't see too many HBCU baseball coaches doing this. I see it all the time at the non-HBCUs. I see we've had a a um, Alabama and A&M had a coach who's no longer there, who's, co- who's coaching at um, um, Martin Methodist. They have, what he has done since he has left uh, Hill, he has built that NAIA program as the way now they're getting national recognition. He was not allowed to do that at Alabama A&M. That's what makes you do it, I'm telling you. I'm telling Gramlin, they are going to let Gramlin coach go and raise money Unless he's got to talk with them about who he can talk to. Well, I'll be going to do Why is that guy going to have time to do that? You know, the same thing at Prandio. They can't just go raise money. Now, fortunate for me, they didn't do that. I remember one president when they had me, he said, everybody got to come through us except Coach Kadar. He's got his own thing. Let him do his own thing. Well, that's... You, you put people at a disadvantage when you say they got to go to someone to do it. You got me? Yes. Now, if someone says, if, if the people raising money is going to take care of people, but they never do that when they go out and raise. You got me? If you got someone raising out of the president's office, very seldom they're going to think about baseball. You got me? Yes. You know, this baseball is the last notch on the gun. You know, so so, but I know Fred is that way. Gremlin is that way. Maybe just to say, I really don't know, but I know those two schools because the coaches talk to me and say how difficult it was for them because of the jumping through the hoop that they had to jump through to try and raise it. So Gremlin might have sold two sides. Fred, you sold no sides, and it's so disappointing. It's so disappointing because they wanted to do something. And just they just didn't allow them to do it. Just they, they hire people to do it, but they don't do the job either. Well, that's the same situation over at Texas Southern. Uh, Michael Robertson is, is building a great program. He's doing wonders. But he has no place to play at home. Right. That's why I didn't mention him, because he doesn't have a place to play at home. He played the city park, which makes it tough to sell sign at the city park. The city may not want you to put sign on their fence. So that's a disadvantage to him. Remember, when I started, I started at the city park in Baton Rouge. You know, and I went to the coaches' convention, and I met a man from Pullman, Washington. He was a vendor at the, uh, at the coaching convention. And I started talking to him. 
and he mentioned to me, and I used to talk to everybody. He said, if you can talk to the uh, the, the people who do the weekend thing with the Army uh, Corps engineer, the uh, Army, uh, uh, the people that do, the people serve only one week out of a month in the in the army. What you call them? Uh, you know they they serve one week out of a month in the army. I have you know, no. It is. I have no clue. You know, but yeah. Well, I talked to him and he told me, and I went and found the people here in Baton Rouge, and the guy was from Arkansas was willing, and it was a tough drive. It took me three years to get them to finally sign the papers to do it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I got them. And that's why I try to tell people. A struggle doesn't happen and end right away. It took me three years just to sign the paperwork. And once I got it signed and the guy worked and we guy came out and we worked on weekends, we looked at it, we got the thing and he said, we could put a field here. Then, and the guy was so slow because then, Remember, this was a project. This was nothing they had any love into. It took me five years to do this. Five years to do this. And finally, when we finally got everything done, and I got Southern to sign off on the project, because I had to get them to sign off, we got the machines out and started to work. You know, and um, and then it took me another two years. Remember, they were only working on weekends. And one man took such an interest, he would come during the, the week time and work on his own. He said, I want to help you out, coach. So that's how we got it done. And in 1991, we played home for the first time since 1971. And remember, when we left in 71, the state had promised Southern to build a field. And they never did. Southern is the only school in the state that the state never built a field for. And I took it on my own to do it. Well, it's a great location. It's right above the overpass. I mean, it's... it's it, every time I look at... Let me tell you why I built it there. My wife and I, I was offered a job. Well, I went for an interview for... FAMU in, in Tallahassee, okay? And, um, wow. And I ended up turning the offer to me and I turned it down. But I went to visit Florida in there, I mean, Florida State. And I told my wife, I said, I just saw, this is what I want to do. I'm going to feel mine because Florida State is next, just like this. Just like that. If you go to Florida State Hill, you'll see that, that, Overpass. Yes. Highway right by. It. Right by it. Yes. I've been. I've been to Florida State. I've been to Florida State. I've been to uh, your. I've, I've been to your uh, uh, home field. You can see the similarities. You got me. Big time. And that's where I got the idea from because that was the property that I had to work with, and I went back and told the Corps engineer with the uh, army uh, people, National Guard, the National Guard. That's the people who built it for me. I told them this is what I want, and the, the engineer figure out a way to make it work. Because you know how many people told them that was, they told the president 
there's not enough land there. Can't be enough in there. And I proved them wrong. And I remember after the field was built, I was eating at a picket dinner one night and the president was in there. And he came to me and said, I want to commend you. He said, all my advisors told me you were crazy, that they couldn't build a baseball field there, and you proved them all wrong. And I wanted to commend you for that. You see, there are people who don't know and they try to stop you. Not that they were being ugly, they just didn't know. You got this? You, you, the naked eyes sometimes can fool you. Where if you put the, put the, put the, the, the needle to it with the, uh, with the people, the engineers. The engineers fixed it just right. And then I had to go raise the money. In one trade, I raised 500000 then I raised 250000 then I raised 270000 So I raised the money, and that's how I built that son of a gun. Well, you know, but couldn't have done it without a lot of good people in this city. A lot of good people. And that's how I did it. Yeah. I did it because I did a good job with my players. If I had players who were in trouble, my players were good people. They gave them, when I went in the community service, they were there with And they exemplified the best in what we had to offer. And people were watching with money. The people with money were watching them when we were doing community service. And they paid back, okay? So, all I can say, can the next person do it that way? It's not going to happen overnight. Oh, we got to hire people and let them stay there a while, the community gets to know them, and then they will embrace them. I think that's the way to go. Well, winding this podcast down, um, how can HBCU baseball programs and the athletic department coexist? How can, what is it that they need to do? Because, like I said earlier, you did, you did things that would just... Uh, you did the, the way you went about and the way you built that program. I have not seen it happen in HBCUs since you you started. What 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 changes need to be made? What can be done, if any? You're gonna need the right president in place and the athletic director. If Charles McClellan, who is the commissioner of the SWAC, was the AP with the right president, he is the guy. He is the guy. That's all I can say. Because he loved baseball and he realized baseball can work. But you gotta have the right guy. I mean, nothing works without the right people in place. We, Michael, even you would agree that. You got this? I agree. I agree. You gotta have the right people in place. I they have to have vision. And you gotta have an administrator, the president, that trusts the athletic director. And the athletic director's gotta trust the coach, put the money in there. You know, and Charles McClellan, he became commissioner because he is the right guy. I work with Charles a lot to try and help do baseball. He tells me all the time, I need you to make baseball viable. We can upgrade baseball in this league. And he wants that to happen. You got me? He wants it to happen. But being a commissioner, he's got to oversee all of the sports now. You got me? Yeah. We've been in this sport, so he's got to make them all work, but he needs someone like me 
unfortunately, I'm not working out of his administration, but he and I talk regularly about what we can do to try and help baseball. And it's going to take a while to do what he wants to do, but he's going to, if he's still commissioner for a while, he's got a chance to make it happen. Well, they did, he did, did the, uh, the SWAC went out and got two teams from the MEAC, so that's a plus, and it's in the it's uh, it's in the regional area, and I think it would be good. I think it's creating good revenue for the SWAC, and it could elevate the SWAC baseball program at the national level. But from what I'm seeing, and you know, when I talk to the many people that I talk to, is this is going to be a struggle for years to come unless we do something now. And I really don't know what to do, or I just, I think that maybe if, if you were to sit down with all the programs and have a symposium, uh, maybe it will wake uh, uh, coaches up. Maybe it will wake uh, athletic departments up. Maybe it will wake presidents up. Because I, I say this because there's an HBCU uh one of our good programs, every and I criticized the guy. I criticized the guy heavy about five years ago, and I apologized to him on my articles. Uh, there was talk about how he was cutting his own schedule so he wouldn't have to play the top teams, so he could have a winning record every year because he was beating up on the lower HBCU teams. And we found out that that was not true. What it was was he would schedule a 55-game budget and he would include about 10 to 15 games against ranked teams. Once the president got the budget, he would slice and dice his, his, his schedule and then it, it, and it would prevent him from taking on these top teams. And it, it hurt the program because, I mean, at the end of the day, the coach was like, look, they're paying me. I don't agree with it, but what can I do? What can he do? That's right. They just say, dude, ask me why we play the whole 50 some game schedule. I said, why would it when I don't have the, the budget? Why do what I do? You, you understand? My, my, they, my athletic department, the administration was happy with me playing 42, 43 games. They were more than pleased with me playing there. Because you know what they told me? As long as you win the swag, we, we're happy with that. You got that? Then we're going to give you the money to play this, those other games. You know, and I had to, the money I raised, I had to raise it for necessities. You know, my kids needed things. You got me? Yes. Play extra game wasn't going to give them the things that I bought with the money I raised. You got me? Yes. Like jackets and extra shoes and gloves and extra baseballs that they, the budget didn't cover. I mean, baseball is expensive. You got a $4,000 budget, you can't buy a lot of baseball, you know? Yeah. You know, so I had to raise the money to do that so my kids could get better and yeah. have the necessities. So I understand, but the, the, the conversation I need to have, or we need to have, is with the, the people who make decisions. And it ain't the coaches, and it ain't the ADs, the presidents, or chancellors, whoever runs those universities. You got me? Well, it, 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 I agree with you because you take Xavier University of Louisiana. 
they just brought back their baseball program. They're going to start play in 2021 for the first time in 60 years. It was their chancellor, it was their president who pushed to bring it back. It was a two-year period that they did data analysis, they studied, and then they planned. And when I got that information, uh, Coach, I said to myself, I said, why aren't other HBCU baseball programs taking this initiative? I was impressed when I heard Xavier was bringing baseball back. And... I almost called the president. Not that I wanted the job, to, but to commend him for doing that, you know. Because if I take another job, it may never be as a head coach, but maybe as a, an assistant coach, you got me? Right. Because I don't need to, I don't need it anymore. I want to be able to aid and assist someone if I ever get back into coaching. But it won't be as a head coach, you got me? You know, so, because I have, I can be more valuable to help nurture someone, you got me? You know, that's the way I look at it, you know, so, and I, you know, and I've got two of my former players who are head coaches in this like Elliot Jones at Alabama A&M, and Chris Crenshaw, who was named the baseball coach at Southern, so I've got two of my former players, and Elliot also coached under me, so, you know, I get to talk to him a lot about different scenarios, so, you know. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. He's going to do a good job. He, he understands. He may be able to be in a better situation than Chris is to raise money over in Alabama. And isn't that crazy? It's just it's crazy that, for me to say, but it's different. They, they're hungry for, for things over there. Southern has been spoiled. They've been sparse, and we got to figure out a way to unspar them. You got me? Yes. And we got to figure out a way to unspar them and make them understand. You got to support that program if you wanted to live up to the high standard that I didn't set. It was set before me. But you got to help them out. You got to put more money in that program and give that coach a chance to go raise money. I think that's what they got to understand. Don't have the coach coming in to go raise money. Let him build his program. He needs to be there. He doesn't need to be away from the kids and the university. He needs to be there, you know? Well, Black College Nines, we're, we're in the process of uh, bringing Chris uh, Crenshaw on for one of our podcast series. But, Coach, it has always been a pleasure to talk to you the many times you and I have talked uh, just by phone just by communicating um, I'm going to be honest with you when you left in 2017 uh, it kind of bothered me because I've always considered you the grandfather of HBCU baseball Uh, you took the sport and you elevated you took one program and you elevated all of HBCU baseball and that's something that I think that HBCU baseball needs to recognize you for that. And maybe one of these days we will. Well, I hope so that y'all do what y'all think is right. You know, I remember I was so sick when in 2017 I had pneumonia. And we were about to go back to Sixers Southern in a, a game to determine who would go to the swag. 
uh, uh, tournament. I was so sick the night before, and I got dressed, and I was trying to go out the door, and my son got in the door and blocked it. Said, Daddy, I refuse to let you go. He said, You sick? You've done all you could for son. There's nothing you can do in the condition you're in right now. I ain't let. I was in my coat and tie because we were coat and tie to go on a trip to like to Houston. You got me? Yes. And he said, You're not going. You take that coat and tie, you go to the hospital. Well, I called the lady down. I called my assistant coaches, told them I wasn't going to be at the major. I called the ED. I went to the hospital and the brain test and the doctor said, man, you're lucky you came in here, you got pneumonia. I said, really? I said, I didn't sleep last night. He said, man, and then, you know what that doctor, he didn't, he didn't want me personal, but he knew who I was and he said, we weren't going to let you go to that road trip either because you're too valuable to the community. And they kept me in the hospital for seven days. He said, you're too valuable to the community. We got to take care of you. When people think that way of you, you have to listen to them. You got this? And hopefully... Valuable to the community is important. And hopefully, one of these days, we're going to honor you for it. I know you will, Micah. I have plenty of problems. That's not one of them, okay? (laughs) I know you want to say things. I know you will do the right thing because you you know it's in your heart to do what's right. And I will always be there for you if you ever need me. You always have been, Coach. Well, I want you to know I will continue to be there, okay? Well, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but we need, we, I, I've been working my tail off trying to get a, uh, a, HBCU Baseball National Championship Series. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned it. Yes, yes. Hold on. Yesterday or today? Yesterday, Mr. Tony Regan called me. Oh, really? You are so amazing. I forgot. He called me yesterday and he wants me to help him do something. He wants me to be on the board that he's doing. And then I was able to throw it at him about what you, your opinion is. I said, the NCAA has approved it and want it to happen. I said, but you know, I know I mentioned it to you before. And he said, Coach, he said, what I will do is let me, he said, we got to get, find out what's going on with COVID-19. COVID-19 is still an issue, you got me? Yes. Because they don't even know if they're going to do the Andre Dawson classic. In February, you got me? Right, that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, so he told me, he said, I will, I will keep that as a priority because you mentioned it, and it would be something we'll look at trying to do. He said, if we don't do it this year because of COVID-19, it's something we can do in the future. So my point is, he listened to me, and he, I, I can be in his ear a lot more now because he needs me. You got me? Right. He needs to help him with something that's very important to him. So I'm glad you mentioned it so I can tell you that. So Mr. Reagan, is, we, we, we got him here now. So as we go down the road, we just need to find out we need to get this virus under control. Hopefully it will be completely season 
put some more money back in that coffin, and we could do a lot more to get this thing done. You got me? I, I'm so happy to hear this because it's been it's been. A and I'm so happy you asked me about it because I mean the it's just it's just um, ironically I was in the kitchen cooking breakfast and had my phone somewhere else and when I came I said so much Tony Regan called me called it back he answered and uh, so yeah we got that we got that I, I was able to run that five okay. <laughs> I thank you. So you ought to feel good that it is on the agenda. You know something, Coach? You told me a year ago that this was going to happen. You said you needed to get to the right ear. Yeah. Well, I needed to. I mean, because you, it's hard to make something happen when it's not right. You got me? Right. And I didn't want to pressure him on something when I knew he, he couldn't hear it. It was nothing he was going to hear about it. He was all here yesterday when I mentioned it. He was all here. So I think we're in really good shape with this. The, the only thing he says, when we get into me, we got to make sure that we can get the time with MLB. You know, he said we may not be able to do it in prime time because MLB will have their games in prime time. So he said we have to look at the times we could do it. Or take delay some of them. Do some live and some take delay. You got me? Whatever it takes. Well, I just want to know because you, you're not going to be able to, you know, knock MLB out the way. And my thing is you may be playing some games at 11 in the morning or certain days or 10 in the morning to get them in live. You see, you know, so that's... Because MLB may have game at one and two o'clock in the day on those days. So strategically, we we just need to make sure. And the good thing is, it won't matter if we play on a Monday. You know, we may have to play on Monday because you you're not gonna have too many MLB games on Monday playing in the daytime. You got me? Right. That's true. Then I, that's true. Because that's a travel day. Monday, Tuesday. Yeah, you know, so I'm, I'm just looking at those things. This is how we may be looking at it, okay? Yes, sir. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Thanks for mentioning it because I did talk to him about it. I am so grateful to you because we've had so many discussions on this. The, the fight I'm having, uh, we almost pulled it off for the small school, except for COVID came. We were going to have a two-team tournament, but COVID hit. We had the location, West Palm Beach. Uh, Fitrim Park. We had things in place. Uh, the, the 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 funding I had in place, I had to give that back. I didn't mind, but yeah. this is better. This this is now we have something to build upon from a big well, entity. And I told them if we can take it away, if they can sponsor, maybe not call it Andre Dawson Classic. Take away the, the you got me, the beginning of the year, you're still giving Andre Dawson his love, you got me? Right. And you do it at the end of the year, you got me? Yes, sir. The World Series. And that way you got them sponsoring. You don't have to fight to find sponsorship, you got me? Yes, sir. And it's going to be cheaper for them, when I don't want to use the word, it's going to be more affordable because you're bringing in less teams. What you want to do, four or, four or two teams. 
How many kids you thinking about? Two or fourteen? I was thinking five. Well, we, we well, that's something we have to sit down and discuss because you know you that's have to take this. You, you got to have the same enough. Well, well, we we cannot disrespect the conference champions because you know if, if we if we go by our poll and you know one through five, we still have to include the conference champions, whether they're a part of that poll or not. We still have to give credence to the conference champions. So. Do we? How do we set this up? Do we include a a one game playoff for that fifth spot with the two conference champions? I don't know. That's we. It's, well, it's, the market can't let's get, maybe we can do like football is doing it with four teams. The number one team play four, number two play three. I mean, you can figure that out. I think that's the best way to do it. You play two games or three games. You play a three game, two out of three, and that way. That's the best way to do it. Start it less, and then maybe you can increase it if you make it really good. You got it? Yes, sir. I think that's the best way to go right now. You know, because again, if you can get them to incur the cost, you don't want to, you know, it makes your job so much easier. All you do is promote and not have to raise money. You got it? I, I would love for that, I would love for that to happen. To try and get them, my goal is to try and get them to pick it up and, and switch and switch from Andre Dawson beginning of the year to Andre Dawson championship. You got me? Because I just think it it's a lot better to do it that way. You got me? Yes, sir. I agree. And the Hawks won't have a problem with it. You know, I can get Tony to talk to the Hawks and see if he's got any I don't think he'll have a problem. His name is still on the, on the game. You got it? Yes. So, let's see. We got something to work with now. That's, that's, that's the most important thing. We got something to work with. And you said that. You said that to me. You said that over a year ago. Once we get something to work with, we can start moving forward. Coach, it has always been a pleasure. It's a pleasure, uh, Michael. Thanks for calling. Thanks for giving me the time and the love. Okay? This ain't going to be our last one. I guarantee you that. <laughs> no, it won't be. We'll have many more. Okay? Yes, sir. God bless you and God keep you, Coach. And uh, I will be in touch with you probably in a uh, day or two. Have a good, have a uh, have a good evening and God bless you and God keep you. Same to you and your family. Thank you.